Hi, I'm Carla, and this is Flowful Meats. You wonder what Flowful Meats is? Well, let me tell you. It's a podcast that gives a platform to people and projects and organizations and enterprises out there that do wonderful work and contribute in whatever way to a better world. We talk about how easy it is to contribute to a change, but we don't sugarcoat the challenges that you might have to face. On Flowful Meets, people share how to learn from mistakes and how they keep motivated. Well, hello, early morning sunshine Shining in through the shutters of my window Well, I'm glad I can see you again It's been a long time, my very old friend Let's sit and talk for a while Today, Flowful Meets Cinnamon and Sita from CERES, the Center for Education and Research in Environmental Strategies. CERES is a non-profit sustainability center that is located on four and a half hectares on the Mary Creek in East Brunswick, Melbourne. And unlike all other projects we've visited so far, CERES is super established and they do a lot. I mean really a lot. They run extensive environmental education programs and do urban agriculture projects, green technology demonstrations. And CERES runs a collection of social enterprises. So, um, as we've already discussed, CERES has been uh, in this location for 35 years. Um, and today, CERES is a four and a half hectare community space and park in the inner northern area of Melbourne, um, Australia. And um, on this site here in East Brunswick, we um, provide a place where people can come together to connect with each other and connect with the earth. Um, and we encourage that in uh, three main ways. So there's the place and the facilities um, within the park that, that community groups um, and individuals can use um, to further their sustainability interests or their spiritual interests or their um, you know, um, community interests. Um, we run a large education and training program for schools, um, adults, people with special needs, um, and so through that we uh, share sustainability practices and ideas. In order to be financially sustainable, Ceres runs several social enterprises, including a market, grocery, cafe, community kitchen, organic online supermarket, and my favorite, a permaculture and bush food nursery. So two kilometers north of Ceres, um, we take care of a, an area, a piece of land that um, has been a market garden since the arrival of Europeans and Chinese in Melbourne. Been yeah. about 150 years, continuous market gardens yeah. through different generations and different. We've mm. had there were Chinese market gardeners there, and before then, we believe that the Wurundjeri people, the local indigenous people, also um, it was a fertile land and next to the river, and they would have also hunted and gathered there at that place. So it's been it's quite a significant place. So after the Chinese, there was the Italian market gardeners, and we're now 
the caretakers. And we now have some young farmers yeah. there <laughs> growing food. Um, mm. And uh, a lot of that food is then um, moved across to our warehouse, which is in another part of the inner north of Melbourne. Um, and in the warehouse, we um, take that food and also we buy food from organic farmers in the broader um, outside of the city. Um, and people order online and we deliver. Um, so we move quite a lot of organic food through our warehouse, both fresh produce and also grocery items and household items. So that's an important um, social enterprise for us, our biggest single business. But Melbourne isn't the only place where Ceres is active. We also have a, um, an area called Ceres Global, which is quite a small part of us as a business, but they, are sort of, they reach out to a whole bunch of different organisations in a whole lot of different countries around the world. So they've recently been going to Cuba, China, um, India for many years, um, Samoa, there's heaps, I can't list them anymore. It used to just be India, um, and we also have a relationship with the community in East Arnhem Land, up in the Northern Territory, and Indigenous community there, and they run trips there. It used to be more about young people going and volunteering, um, now it's much more about, we say, making friendships. Um, and actually, um, I've been on a few of these trips and we went to, I went on one to India and I feel like, particularly in terms of sustainable technology, countries like India have far, far overtaken Australia. So actually we go and learn a lot from these organisations. It's definitely an exchange. Yeah. Um, and we now take groups of university students. So on a project in India, we've been taking um, some IT for social impact students and some, we call them tradies in Australia, people learning building techniques and things like that. So um, yeah, so that's quite an interesting program, yeah. Before Sirius set up the site on the Mary Creek, indigenous Wurundjeri people lived on the land. But along with the European invasion, the gold rush and the growth of Melbourne City came challenges for the land. After being a bluestone quarry for many years, the site was turned into a landfill. In 1960, the landfill was capped and the site became a wasteland for many years. The water became polluted and the trees and wildlife disappeared. So every tree that you can see here has been planted by the community since 1982. Yeah. Um, and the initial, there's a few different stories about the founding of series you know in all of these things it's never just one story but the story that I like to tell and I've read a lot about is that it was a um, work for the dole scheme which so an unemployment scheme people looking for work for themselves and they wanted work that was more meaningful than they were able to find so they wanted kind of slightly alternative ways of living even in the early days but really it was founded around employment I feel. Um, and so they asked council if they could have some land. So our local council still owns this land. Um, it was a slightly different council back then, but um, council couldn't do much with this because of its status as a former landfill site and because of the power lines. And so they gave the land to this first group of people and they grew, started growing vegetables, they started a recycling scheme and then started experimenting with alternative technology. I think, well, we have a couple of different sort of myths, if you like, about how the founding of series actually occurred. And for some people, um, 
it can be quite a utopian sort of a vision about community members coming together and this thing magically happening. Um, and we wrote about that in a newsletter and one of the people who was actually involved in the founding said actually it was really hard because we had to lobby state government and lobby the local government and you know keep on it and for years and it took ages and it was actually you know a, a really you know yeah it was an odyssey so <laughs> it wasn't just this sort of you know magical thing yeah. so yeah I mean I, I can imagine at the time in the 1980s yeah, the, probably the world would have been more open to having something like this in a way, or there would have been fewer barriers, but at the same time it still would have been quite a lot of work. Ceres is a place for community-based learning and action that focuses on five domains. Environmental, social, economic, cultural and spiritual. But above all that, Ceres aims to reconnect people to each other and the earth. The fundamental drivers haven't really changed. As Cedar said, it was about um, job creation and um, sustainability in education. So those two purposes were there in our original constitution and they're still there. Um, maybe the drivers have broadened and we're actually now starting to talk about a much deeper purpose, which is about a spiritual connection to place and to community. Um, and that wasn't talked about in the beginning, but I think that the, you know, what's arisen here from the earth and from the land and from the community really does have, you know, that, that reason for being. So. We've had a period of rapid growth as well in the last, since I, I've been here seven years. Um, and we're just when I started was sort of the start of this real rapid growth period. We had a big philanthropic donation that enabled the building of this built these buildings here and so it was like a, a sudden vast change to the land with this built environment um, and then all of our social enterprises um, we probably didn't call them social enterprises even seven years ago but um, uh, you know rapid growth and so I think it's quite tricky to maintain your vision through that We had a bit of a financial crisis in 2011, which we've now largely recovered from, but during that period there's a lot of focus on financial sustainability and um, actually I think it's quite freeing our position. We're 95-96% self-funded through our social enterprises and educational services. And so we're not reliant on government funding in on the whole. Um, And so I think our vision sort of changed a bit like that because previously we would have applied for grants, funding, donations. That would have been the focus, I guess, of our income streams. Whereas now we want our income streams to come from ourselves. And I, I wonder, um, just thinking out loud, if that's how we're now able to speak more about. We have this new vision that Cinnamon's recently articulated, which is we exist to help people fall in love with the earth again. And I wonder if we were looking for grants and funding from outside of series, if we were, we may not able to be able to say something as hippie sounding as that. Yeah. And guess what? Flowful loves to hear that hippie sound. Reconnecting with nature is something that I and Lars are practicing almost every day. Well, thanks to our life here at Gaia Ashram. But how can you implement that spiritual approach in an urban environment and within an organizational structure? We're still figuring that one out. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it's been very much something 
that I personally have been interested in and cinnamon too in the last, well, in our lives generally and it's sort of been coalescing in our work at series. Um, I have a connection with um, an organisation in California who has a leadership program around spiritual ecology for younger people. Um, I struggle to explain what spiritual ecology means, but it's kind of what it says on the tin. It's like spiritual and ecology. <laughs> so it's where, it's where, <laughs> I, I guess where science meets sacred. Um, and I think um, our approach at Ceres is very much about that. It's about people having a deep inner connection to land and to each other, whatever that is. Um, for it's different things for different people and how that can inspire you and motivate you to look after the earth and each other but also it includes science so knowledge understanding ecology but unofficially since we started series has been doing this work people come you know sit at series we have all kinds of spiritual groups that meet here yoga classes we've got a sweat lodge <laughs> um, you know, qigong classes, everything. So I'm just looking for ways to more consciously connect those two things in my own life. And luckily, I'm able to do it through series and explore it. Series' spiritual approach is pretty much inspired by Joanna Macy. Joanna Macy is a deep ecologist and system thinker who characterizes three types of environmental change. This is holding action, which is stopping the destruction of things on the earth, structural change, which is demonstrating new ways of living, and shifting consciousness, which is changing our relationship with the Earth. A series isn't a campaigning organization. One can place their work in the second and the third category of Joanna Macy's work. For series, it is about reimagining our relationship with each other and the Earth and remembering our deep and radical interconnectedness. I hope that series inspires that in people, whether it's deliberately through the types of programs that Cedar described and, and groups that use our site for various spiritual practices, or whether it's um, you know more subtle when people walk in through the gates and they have a different experience of reality as a result of being in our environment rather than being out there where things are very concrete and straight lines and hard-boiled so yeah I'm hoping that we're offering a softer more receptive more open place where the land can you know make be felt and and heard and um, yeah where people can be felt and heard and and connected I think reconnection is important because I think we used to be connected as societies and cultures all around the world and I think indigenous people have maintained that connection um, largely um, and I think that is what's important in a way the reconnection because it's not like creating something new it feels like less of a step to remember something that we used to know than to create something new so I don't think it's that big a leap actually and I think people um, I think it's harder in an urban environment people don't grow up with nature like I grew up going camping I'm happy in the dirt I like being outside but I look around at people growing up in the city and kids around here and they just don't have access to those spaces but I do think that you can access it through animals like having a cat or a dog or whatever you connect to that wild nature um, at series I think there's a huge opportunity because we have this land um, and people are flocking to series and the more we're becoming densified around this area, the more they want to come and just be at series mm. and connect with each other and the earth. 
In the 1980s, the area around Sirius was a quite low socio-economic area with light industry along the creek. The other thing that's significantly changed since the 1980s is the demographics of the um, area, the residential area surrounding Sirius. So given we're fi only five kilometres from the central business district of Melbourne, um, so we're in an area that, as Sita said, in the 1980s was um, high non-English speaking, high unemployment, um, due to a lot of light industry in the area closing down and moving out of the area. Um, so, and this, so the fact that this was a rubbish dump in that inner residential or a light industrial area in the inner north of Melbourne um, was sort of characteristic of that time. Now, 35 years later, um, this part of Melbourne has gentrified, densified, and is continuing that trend massively. Property prices have significantly changed. We now have, you know, a um, professional, um, educated, relatively wealthy community around us. And in some ways, that wasn't the community that Ceres was established to serve in the first instance, but actually that community is now serving Ceres and enabling our on-site enterprises to thrive because that community wants organic food and wants, you know, plants for their garden and wants coffees on the weekend. And as a result of that, we're able to generate income to make the park available to the wider community of Melbourne and even the wider international community um, because we don't charge entry fees to, for people to come and see the park. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting our relationship with our immediate, you know, neighbours and how that's enabled us to grow. We talked with Cinnamon and Sieta about extrinsic and intrinsic values and how those can be reinforced. Just like us, Sirius believes that values like universalism and relationship with the earth can be encouraged by spreading good news instead of apocalyptic stories. So I think Sirius' role is to continue to reinforce those value sets around benevolence and universalism um, and and to continue to validate those values because they I think those values are kind of soft is the wrong word but they're more ephemeral and you know gentle and subtle and they can easily just get squashed and pushed aside by a, you know a mainstream culture that's you know interested in three-dimensional reality quite frankly. Not just mainstream culture I mean I think from within the environmental movement we've had pressure to have a sign up saying you know we're in an environmental emergency should be the first thing that people see when they come into series um, and I'm like climate emergency yeah, yeah climate emergency and I'm like well I don't I think that taps into people's extrinsic values, like, oh, I feel unsafe now, you know, um, and I don't, I just, I don't think that works either, making people panic. So I think people already know that shut and they're down. trying to deny it and shut down, so just tapping into those intrinsic values more, um, and it's through community and each other as well as, um, yeah, just being at series together with your friends, having cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> having conversations like That's this. That's right. Continuing yeah. to talk about what's important. Mm. Yeah. Mm. In whatever opportunity that is, whether it's across the counter at the nursery or through an education program or yeah, over a cup of tea. But yeah, life isn't always good news.
and in 2011, Sirius was facing a financial crisis. Yeah, so there are a number of um, strategies that we put in place to manage that. So firstly, we did some emergency fundraising to cover a short-term need. Um, then we did some cost reduction, which actually meant, um, yeah, unfortunately asking some people to leave. Um, that was hard because obviously we always need more resources and more people doing things. But um, yeah, we had to contract a little bit financially, um, and then we really went about went set out to learn about how to run business properly um, or more deliberately, um, and to validate the role of social enterprise within an organisation like Siri. So previously, we'd had a tension or a confusion between are we a charity that's seeking lots of external support from governments, philanthropy and you know, corporate organisations or are we a business where we're trying to run you know, and be self-sustaining? Um, so and we would have conversations like um, the, the, a program X isn't making money but that's okay because it's doing all of this good in the world social environmental work and then the conversation would stop so we would continue to offer great programs that weren't making money so I think in the 2012 and 13 we really worked hard on understanding our business model and the business model for each of the enterprises and, and, and units within series and understanding how they fit into the bigger organisation, the business model for the whole thing. And that really helped the whole management team of which there's 18 people understand their place in the picture and to know that certain parts of the organisation are just really there to make money. They're aligned with our overall mission but their primary purpose within the organisation is to generate revenue mm. whereas others are there to service a need of some particular you know, community need. Um, that work was really transformative because it validated the role of economic activity within an organisation like this. Plus diversity has been one of our strengths as well, even throughout the financial crisis. If we didn't do all of these different things, yes. we wouldn't have had so many things to draw on to help us through that time. But we're also founded on innovation, um, and innovation is, is tricky because it makes you want to do more, newer, better things, um, and it's also risky. It might not work out. That's the that's what innovation is about. Like, does this work or doesn't it? No. And so we're kind of we don't have a lot of capacity to take risks, financial capacity to take those risks. Yet we also still have a really strong desire to be innovative. So we've recently been reflecting on what does it really mean to innovate? What kinds of social innovations can we drive? Besides thinking of social innovations, Series follows a holistic approach and they are working on being sustainable in every department. So over the time series has grown and we now you know, have so many visitors and so many things going on on the site that our electricity, electricity consumption has increased. So um, we recently had an energy audit done and uh, we are generating about 15% of the electricity that we use on the site. Um, we have, the board has set a target of being zero emissions by 2025, um, and which a milestone along the way is 40% reduction by 2020. So we're currently working out how to do that. Even if we did cover all of our available surfaces with solar panels, I don't know, that 
estimate that I saw, I don't know how accurate it is, was we'd only get to 60%. So how do we get to that extra 40% reduction and storage? Um, at the moment, storage is not affordable for us. Um, and reduction is hard, but that's what we're really pushing at the moment mm. as well. We've got a new uh, carbon budget policy to guide internal staff actions, culture, everything that we're doing. We have, I don't know how many commercial kitchens, five mm. commercial kitchens. So that's heating, cooling, refrigeration is a big one. So we're going to have to get, it'll drive innovation again at series because we're going to have to make those changes to meet our targets. And sometimes those, you know, decisions are quite, uh, like do we have a freezer with icy poles or do we not because the freezer uses energy, but our customers like icy poles. So whose needs, you know, that's such a micro decision, but it's characteristic of it and there's bigger decisions about veganism for example has been a hot topic (laughs) for quite a long time and because we have a lot of farmers here as well there's talk about how in regenerative farming animals have to be involved Uh, can you ethically source meat and dairy can you not you know is it more environmental is it not more environmental the science is not necessarily clear Um, there's a whole lot of ethical reasons not to eat meat, how do they play into our decision-making process? Usually, Flowful meets way smaller organizations. We grabbed the chance to ask Cinnamon and Sita what makes a stable organization. I think really understanding finances is important. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's, you know, when we, the reason I like spiritual ecology is it's where two things meet. And I think that applies to a lot of different areas. Like, you, you can have all the best intentions in the world but if you're running a business you need to understand the business and the current economic system within which we're operating you can't just hope for the best i once met on a series global trip to india vandana shiva who does a lot of work around organic farming in india if you know Mm -hmm. her and i had what i thought was a really great question i was like you know you're you speak really eloquently about the science and the sacred like how do you match those two things up and she's just an enormous brain superpower and she looked at me and she goes well they're not separate like you're dichotomizing this versus that and it's just not like that they're not different from each other I was like oh really good we definitely are really impressed by Sirius way of developing things further and their way of thinking but even though Sirius is well established we realized that there's one common thing no matter how small or big the organization or the project is. I think the change is all inner. Mm, every single one of us needs to connect in, in internally. That's it. We had an amazing and inspiring day at Sirius. That taught us a lot. Whoa, and we also had awesome food. Thanks so much, Cinnamon and Sita, for taking your time and sharing Sirius values and visions. For us, their theory of change is just as simple as brilliant. As people in urban settings don't really have opportunity and spaces to connect with nature, with each other and their inner self, we often lack spaces for environmental grassroots movements, sustainable businesses and environmental education. Serious Vision is exactly built on that, to help people fall in love with the earth again. But they do more than just providing the site where people can come together, connect with each other and reconnect with the earth. Series creates opportunities where community groups and individuals can further their interests in sustainability, their spiritual practice or their community interests. By giving a framework for a bunch of sustainable businesses and social enterprises, 
They not only provide sustainable and organic produce for Melbourne, they also create a solid financial foundation for their work. So whenever you're in Melbourne, you should definitely visit this lovely place and get a little bit closer to Mother Earth. You can check out their diverse program at www.series.org.au and follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and all these things. Oh, and this is where you can also find us, Flowful. You can find all links in the show notes below and on our website, flowful.org. On our website, you can also find out what we do and who we are and what's in our minds. <laughs> so if you like what Sirius does and what we do, please share this episode and spread the word. Music is by beautiful soul, Andrew Healy. Thanks for listening. Be flowful. Now we sit in the sand, holding hands, watch the sunset over the land And I'm glad that the bright blue water and the brown on the ground And the frown on your face is upside down Sunny palm leaves on the coconut trees sway above our heads with the breeze through the leaves And all of these colors bleed as one